Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we have a very special guest, Daniel Gutwein. Daniel's passion and purpose are to bridge the gap between technological advancement and the betterment of humanity. He does this by leading the business efforts for the Emerging Technologies team in Intel's Internet of Things group. The team's efforts include work in AI, CV, robotics, social equity, and most recently, the N50 project, which we'll be covering today. Daniel successfully founded two companies, including a nonprofit that motivated 50,000 people in 38 countries to raise funds to build schools, hospitals, and computer labs in rural Africa. Daniel is an alumnus of Harvard Business School and teaches marketing courses at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. In addition, he serves on the advisory board for the Retail Orphan Initiative and the board of directors for the Jason Hope Foundation. I hope I said it right. Daniel holds multiple patents in RF technologies. Hi, Daniel. It's so great to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Mary, and it's great to be here, and uh, it's good to hear your voice again. Doing well. Thank you. So, Daniel, you know what? I'd like to begin, you know, by your story, and it's going to be a super broad question, and feel free to answer the way you wish. Basically, you know, just share with us what happened in your journey, which made you who you are today, the way you were raised, your family, maybe international experience, you know, whatever you'd like to share. Wow, that's that's a, that's a good question. I could share all kinds of things, Marriott, Mary, I'm sure. I think a lot of experiences, a lot of really good people, you know, helping mentor my journey. I think where it lands is everyone on this planet, I believe, they always say the two greatest days of your life, the day you're born, the day you found out why. And, uh, you know, to really figure out, you know, the purpose in not only just your personal life, but also in the business that you do, you know, kind of the meaning that you have as you interrelate with others. And I've been on that journey now for, for a long time. I'm getting older every minute, just like everyone is. And um, you know, had, had a chance to really spend just some, some really good quality time over the last couple of years with some good mentors of mine, some good coaches, trying to figure out, you know, what are my passions? What are my, you know, kind of abilities? What's my education background and experiences? And trying to build that all together. And uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, I get to do that for just a fantastic company with the Intel Corporation and uh, leading this effort, you know, called the N50 Project now that uh, has a charter to not just connect people. You know, there's, there's estimated somewhere between 3 and 3.9 billion people on the planet that aren't participating in today's digital world. But not just to connect people, that's oftentimes the easy part, but making sure that there's meaningful participation in what we call, you know, human enriching applications that make a true, you know, human impact. And into a corporation, I mean, our our purpose, if you will, going back to the whole purpose thing is we, we have our purpose for being a company to create world-changing technology that enriches the lives of every person on earth. Um, we've done a fantastic job of that as an organization, as a company over the last 52 plus years now, but we've left half the world behind. So it's kind of this moral imperative, if you will, you know, to make sure that you are at least giving people the opportunity for the information and uh, the um, kind of advantages that the digital world brings. We are definitely getting into the details of, of the N50. Before we get into that, I think you mentioned to me, so, and please tell me if I'm wrong, that you started like six, six companies, is that right? Including the non-profit. So could you just 
give us, you know, a brief about uh, this experience you had? Yeah. So, so in my career, you know, when I first got out of school, I, I worked for an ad agency in marketing and I, it didn't take long to realize no one was making money except a couple of people that owned the agency and they were fairly young. And so I didn't really want to stick around there and got involved in a great company called AT&T, got involved in, you know, networking and telecommunications and, you know, connecting people back in the day. Had a great journey there, some great experiences. And then I decided to go off and just work with startups and um, had the chance to work with, you know, a couple of medium-sized companies and again, all around connectivity and networking. And then um, had the chance to, to start a couple of companies by myself. Um, some were successful, some were not. We sold one, which was, which was a lot of fun. And then, you know, as far as, you know, the nonprofit goes back probably, oh, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 years ago, actually my son at the time, I was pen pals with a little boy over in Uganda and I started getting to know people around the world. You know, we started a nonprofit as a family just to kind of help kids at the time that were orphaned due to HIV AIDS. And there were, you know, millions and millions of them, as you're very well aware, if you remember the early 2000s and um, help them with, you know, things around education, healthcare and building better communities. And over the course of, yeah, 14, 15 years, you know, we're able to raise, I don't know, five, six million dollars, something like that, build schools, you know, a lot of fresh water, teach people how to do that, help educate students. We've got actually the school we built, we started over in 2007 and um, built it with the community. There's now 386 children at the high school. We've got uh, 14, 15 that have made it to the university now just this year and uh, several graduates over the year from the university. It was kind of fun. And then, and then, you know, kind of midway through that journey, had the chance to get, you know, Intel involved, our our company involved. And um, they actually helped us design a computer lab. This is kind of the first start of my journey to the N50 project. And they helped us design this computer lab that was completely solar powered. And we procured an old shipping container off of a ship and we gutted it. And we built this computer lab. It's completely solar powered. We had about 25 PCs in there. We put a little small little server in there that actually had about 35,000 reference volumes on there. All the con videos you can imagine you know, all kinds of just lecture videos, teaching videos, and so on, not just for the students, but also for the for the academic teachers over there. And we, we installed it. We installed it in a rural community in southern Zambia, about 100 miles from any running water or, you know, hydropower or anything. And it wasn't connected to the, to the internet. It was just this device that we'd loaded with content. So the, the students felt like they were connected to the internet, but they really weren't, you know, so we had to continually update it and refresh it. But, you know, take that kind of environment and you, and you take, you know, children who have never had it held a textbook in their life, right? You've got schools where you have chalkboards, but maybe not chalk. And you're basically listening all day to whatever the teacher knows. And you come in and you drop that kind of content into, into the community. And, you know, I've always believed that one of the ways out of, you know, human enrichment is really education, you know, and giving least students the opportunity to, to learn and, and to grow. And out of that has come to some amazing things, you know, and, and we've, we've done multiple labs now around the world through Intel. Intel actually has a program called, the um, Intel Employee Service Corps, where we actually send teams out around the world pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID too, that actually help uh, train and, you know, install and teach how to use computers around the world in very, very rural areas. And so we've been able to do that. And then um, we've had some non-successes too, you know, where we've dropped computer labs in and I'm sure they're, you know, paperweights today because we didn't do all the things, but that's how you learn and that's how you grow. And, and so, yeah, I ran that nonprofit for many years and then um, we merged into another NGO, uh, which is continuing and sustaining it uh, in its current effort. That's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing. Super inspiring. So let's let's get back to 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 N50. So you mentioned that already, but I really need to reinforce that. So about fifty uh, percent of the world, so around like three point nine billion people, right? They are unconnected. 
So you are working exactly to address that, which is the N50 project, which is cross-industry, very collaborative, it's global, right? So I'd like to begin by understanding the reason that you told me that you believe that such such a huge part of the world is still under situation because you told me you believe that the reason is not necessarily just money, just resources, right? I think you have a better assessment of why this happens. Usually people that are not so informed would just think that it's because of the lack of money usually or other type of resources. So what's your assessment about this, the reason behind this inequality? Sure. And, and, and it's not just my assessment, Romar. It's, it's actually assessments from some really smart people with some great organizations and some really deep research on this. And, you know, we've for literally, you know, 25 years plus or minus, right? This has been a strategic development goal for the UN, you know, to connect the unconnected. You've had tons of organizations and companies, large MNOs and telcos connecting people. And I think it's fantastic. But the recent data that we've actually been, been kind of uncovering and working with our friends over like the GSMA, they published a report, I believe it was in October, maybe September of last year, that said of, of the, you know, and again, 3.1 to 3.9 billion people that are still, quote unquote, not participating in today's digital world, they estimate that all but maybe a half a billion of those people have the ability to connect, but just don't. That should be concerning to all of us, right? You know, if you have the ability to connect, but don't, you know, you really understand and say, why, why? If, if, if the digital world enhances their lives, and again, these aren't my figures, right? I mean, you can go back to the data that the ITU published just in 2019 that said for every, you know, 10% increase in connectivity, participation from communities, every 10% increase equals an estimated 2.5 increase in that country's GDP, right? So there's no question that digital connectivity and participation enriches and enlivens people in those communities. And so those, that's not my data. If it doesn't, then, then I don't want to be part of it, but we believe that it does. And so if you look at, okay, if you have the reason, the ability to connect, but choose not to, why? And, you know, if you read the GSMA report, they did a great job on digging into some of the data. And it was really primarily four different areas. And, you know, the first one comes back to basic applications. You know, what do I do on this digital world? What do I do? And, you know, you've got network and topologies today where, you know, there's a lot of latency and like video applications. And so there's a bad experience. We're working on that with all of our partners and how do we address that, but really making sure that the applications are there for people to use in what I would call a cost-effective manner with a good experience. You know, the second issue comes around uh, literacy. I mean, this is amazing to me that most people in these newly connected areas, if you will, have never turned on a computer. And again, I'll even refer back to the states. You know, I live in the state of Arizona. I work with a refugee community about 10 minutes outside of downtown Phoenix, with the fifth largest city in the country. And we have a huge community of about 150 to 200 families of refugees. They come to the states and we basically say, hey, within you know six months, you have to be self-sustaining. That's the government policy. And I'm OK with that. But they've never they've never not only that, they never connected. They're turning on the computer. Yet we're asking them to go find jobs online. Very difficult. So there's this digital literacy issue. And before you can solve digital literacy, you still have a, a global literacy issue. I mean, we're working very closely with like the Barbara Bush uh, Literacy Foundation here in the States. And, you know, we, we can put together great literacy guides on how to use a computer for digital literacy, but someone can't read, then you have other issues as well. So a lot of that comes back just to literacy. How do I, how do I use the application when I want to go use it? You know, the third issue is language, but I believe that there's a lot of good software tools that can help solve that today. And we're making a huge dent as far as just the language barrier. And then the fourth one is cost. You know, at the N50 project, we have this you know, fundamental hypothesis 
that says that, you know, if we can give people what we call human enriching applications, and we let communities define that so we're not dictating what they actually do, but, you know, it's almost almost predominantly around education, healthcare, agriculture, human capital increase, and so on, applications like that. If we can actually provide them those human enriching applications with a good experience at a lower minimal cost, right, that people actually get online and become digitally literate, learn how to actually use it because it enriches their lives. And from there, they can go off and explore the rest of the digital world has to offer, like what we're doing today at this digital call, you know, or content creation, whatever the case might be. Um, but those are things that we're working on. And that's really, you know, I would argue there's not a square foot on the planet that you had the resources you couldn't make a telephone call. Right. We've had that technology for years. And so why why if this does so much good in the world is still, you know, so much of the world still not participating and connected. And so we're really all about addressing the participation gap, the usage gap, not necessarily the connectivity gap. There are other organizations that are doing a great job at that. But we're coming along from a holistic aspect and teaching people to use computers, making sure they have the right applications, making sure the language is understandable, then helping with some of those cost issues until they become digitally literate. It sounds so huge, right? So how are you able, and of course, um, share whatever you can. To, to, let's try to, to, to get more details about the N50. So I understand the goals and they're completely aligned with, with the reasons that you find behind that. So you're helping with literacy, with applications, with getting people to connect it. And my understanding is this project works through partnerships and local, like with the communities and government. So ca can you cover that? No, I absolutely can. Yeah. You know, we call this kind of the four pillars, right, that, that we want to address. And, and again, there's a fundamental belief, and I would I would stand behind this and, until the end of time, that no one company, no one individual can, can solve this problem. If that were true, we would have solved this literally decades ago. And if you look at the trend over the last, say, 20, 25 years, you know, you've brought a lot of people online, but the percentages are still very similar as they were many, many years ago as far as the percentage of people still not participating. And so we, we fundamentally believe no one company, no one person, no one organization can actually go solve this problem. It's going to take a collective effort. It's going to take a community of people that have the same goal and the same beliefs in mind to actually get this done. And, and so we have the four pillars that we actually you know, work with at the N50 project. And uh, that all comes back to basically, you know, obviously you have your public pillar, right? By the way, governments have been addressing this problem for years. And so if we could just throw money at a problem, again, we would have solved it. Uh, you have NGOs, fantastic non-government organizations, nonprofits that are working incredibly well, that have amazing applications and know communities extremely well and can actually teach and grow people. But again, they don't have the resources per se to get this solved. You then have academic institutions that are doing fantastic research and developing solutions that are just mind boggling. Here at Arizona State University, they have a solution called Solar Lab, where it's a small box, has a solar panel on it, has a small little compute device inside it with a Wi-Fi connection, and kids through their smartphones can actually now access and read books. And, and this is something that costs us 150 bucks. That was actually made, it's, it's called Solar Spell, and it's actually made out of an academic institution where you know people are researching this and trying to figure this out. So you've got the academic pillar. And then what I think is most important is really the private pillar, right, which is the corporations that should, in my mind, have a vested interest in getting people to participate in the digital world. Obviously, you can see you know, that there's a, a very good interest from Intel to get this. It's, it's a quarter of our purpose is who we are. Our partners in the tech industry, quarter of their purpose and who they are. How about FinTech, right? How do you expand digital payments, digital, digital currency in the FinTech world unless people are connected? Those private enterprise companies should have a fantastic incentive, if you will, to make sure people are not just connected, but it's sustainable. 
you know, agriculture, um, growing food and, and sustaining and stuff like that. And again, fantastic, you know, return on objective and, and meaning for actually having people connected. And so I think with the, those four pillars working together, you know, we can accomplish amazing things by ourselves. And I'll also say, you know, it's it's a little kind of pie in the sky to say this is that easy because it's not, right? And and people have tried this before and um, we're going to try and do this thing the right way. But, you know, we also have to get out of our own way. And, and, and there's a statement I use all the time and I challenge people to, to think about, you know, what could we accomplish if it doesn't matter who gets the credit? What could we accomplish together if it just doesn't matter who gets the credit? And I think that answer is we could change some of these massive world problems. And that's what we're trying to go do. So I have a, a question that is not going to be easy. And my understanding is this project is, is just in the beginning, right? I think you mentioned we've been planning for two to three years, but it's actually about to get launched. So pre-launch, let's let's say in that way, what, what have been the main challenges you, 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 you ran into? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of challenges, right? Like I said, we would have solved this a long time ago. We've thrown billions and billions of dollars at this and solved these challenges. So, so by the way, to just address the timing change, our challenge, you're, you're right. So we just launched our website kind of in a soft launch. We're getting partners on board. You can find that n50n50project.org. And there's a phenomenal, nice little marketing video we did there as well. And then we're currently doing a pilot in, in rural Zambia. We found a small community, a small village there, about 4,000 plus or minus residents. They've had connectivity there, but not many actually subscribe, you know, using a lot of data and, and actually, you know, really from the digital enrichment piece of it. And so we've been working on that pilot now for about a year. Um, our hope is that we actually install the network here this fall and then we're doing meaningful kind of progression and measurements. We've got an amazing baseline study as far as literacy and language and applications and all of this. We work with the community to understand what they you know, what they need, what they want to actually enrich their lives. And then we've actually worked quite hard on the network topology and the architecture in making sure that we can actually, you know, take these particular applications and kind of put them at the edge and in almost like a cash up of fashion, allow the people in the community to actually utilize them um, while still maintaining the integrity of the core with our, with our carrier partners over there. And so it's been tough. I mean, it's, you know, we're doing something, I, w- I wouldn't call it revolutionary, but different. And the difference is, is, you know, how calls, how data is actually routed through, through a network. So there's a lot, of, a lot of technical development in there. I've been partnering with a couple of our partners out of our 5G innovation lab, you know, some new technologies and how to go do this. We're using, and I don't want to get too technical on you, Mario, but we're using, you know, what we call a deep CDN, right? So you're actually being able to cache content, not just, you know, in the cloud or at the cloud edge, but actually locally. So people can actually utilize that through a private type of network. And um, we're going to test this out this fall and we'll run that pilot for several months and I do the measurement increase in participation. And it's been difficult, you know, you know, to get to this point because it is a new architecture and you're building a lot of stuff in the lab and you're putting a lot of time and money behind it. But if it works, it could be revolutionary for many, many rural areas. And then again, you know, you're getting a lot of large companies and a lot of NGOs, those four pillars, if you will, to work together on a single project and goal that takes a while to find those partners. And we believe we've got those partners on board now and they've been fantastic to work with. But, you know, it's not something that just kind of comes together overnight. You know, everyone wants to do something different and you know, everyone um, has a specialty, if you will, right? But we've, we've got some great, great partners in that area. So for anyone that is listening, that is interested in knowing more, they should go to the website, n50project.com. Is that it? Yeah, go to the n50project.org. Oh, dot org. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, go to the website, check it out. And then I would encourage people too, like right now it's kind of in a pre-launch, but hopefully by the time this airs, um, Maria, that we'll actually have, we have a little tab there called Join the Movement and people can actually sign up and, and join, sign our charter 
to actually, you know, become a, a partner of the program itself. And then we are looking for a couple of, you know, really significant size partners, you know, not necessarily in just revenue, but in contribution perspective, whether it's applications, whether it's networking expertise and so on to actually, you know, help us with the founding partner perspective. That's what we're, that's what we're looking at. So it's, it's live now. You can go look at the website. You'll see some enhancements over time as we, you know, make the official launch. It sounds amazing. So we still have a lot to talk about. Stay tuned, everybody. We're going to a second episode with Daniel. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.